Welcome to the Big Brew Theory Podcast, where we talk brews, news, and what you should choose. Enjoy unique insights from beverage industry experts, big and small, from startup to stardom. Get to know your favorite brews. And now your host, Andy Pedic. Greetings, beer lovers, and welcome to another installment of the Big Brew Theory Podcast. Today, I'm in the north end of Boulder, Colorado, talking to Zach Nichols of Cellar West Artisan Ales. Let's dive straight in. Disclaimer. The following content has been created for the listening pleasure of universal brew lovers. Our program is recorded live and unscripted. As such, any opinions or facts stated during these episodes are purely organic in conversation and personal views of the industry experts we interview. If you disagree with any stated information, please understand this program is created for the enjoyment of our listeners. We are unbiased and intend to promote the industry as a whole. If you don't like any content presented herein, please find another program rather than sending us nasty grams via comment or email. If you're among the other 99% to enjoy our show or someone who would like to contribute in any positive way, be sure to get in touch. We'd love to hear from you. Now, please enjoy the show. So I'm joined today by Zach Nichols of Cellar West Artisan Ales in Boulder, Colorado. Zach, thanks for joining us today. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. So this place is really, really interesting. To paint a quick picture, we're in an open garage space filled with wine barrels. And are the whiskey barrels too? All wine? Got some, some whiskey All too. All kinds of stuff. Zach's got some beautiful bottles, uh, some amazing labels, cool branding. And this is a new place to me and I think a new place to much of Colorado. So we're going to dig into your background story and what, how this all came to be, what your goals are. So Zach, why don't you start by telling us the origin story of Cellar West? How sure. did you come up with this? How did you come up with the name? Is there anybody else? Is it just you? Yeah. So let's see. I'll start sort of with my roots in beer, which would be in Wisconsin, where I was born and raised in Madison, Wisconsin. And when I was in college at the University of Wisconsin there, I got a job stocking the the cooler. You know, I was 19 or 20 years old and just in the uh, cooler every Friday night stocking the chutes when all the, you know, rowdy college kids would come in and grab their six packs and everything. And at the time I was drinking Keystone Light and stuff like that. And, and uh, Kugel. Yep. Yeah. Line <laughs> Kugel. But yeah, so Every once in a while, we'd have a six-pack of Three Floyds or Bowels or some sort of Belgian import where a bottle would break or whatever, and you can't sell a five-pack, so the owner would just say, hey, everyone take a bottle home tonight. And you know that's kind of how I got into craft beer, just tasting all these fun new American microbrews and imports and just fell in love with it. Started homebrewing while I was in college, ended up getting a job as an assistant brewer at a brew pub outside of Madison and would help brew at their production facility as well. And then after a couple years, my girlfriend, who's now my wife, went to the University of Colorado. And I'd sort of always thought about relocating out here, but didn't really have an impetus to do it. And a couple buddies of mine who had met through the craft beer industry out here who were working for Boulder Beer at the time reached out and said that they were going to try to start their own brewery and that they thought it might be a good fit to help get that off the ground. So I packed in my car a couple weeks later and moved out here. And that brewery got off the ground a year or so later, and it's still around in Boulder. It's called Sinitas Brewing Company. I was at Sinitas for a couple of years, and, and while I was there, I really fell in love with the Oak Age beers that we were doing, and particularly the stuff that we were using wild yeast in. Really wanted to sort of explore that avenue and you know dig deeper into that. Kind of the, the needs of the business there were, were taking me elsewhere. So I cut out there a couple of years ago and sort of had the vision for what this is today. 
but I wasn't quite sure where I wanted to do it. Wasn't necessarily in a hurry to leave Boulder, but I started exploring possibly going back to Wisconsin and bringing this concept there. And sort of my working title and my business plan was Seller North because you know, this place looks more like a wine cellar almost than it does a brewery. We don't have much seal in here. It's primarily oak. And so that's kind of where the the cellar comes into the name. And I was going to sort of embrace this, you know, northern Northwoods, you know, wild ale vibe. And long story short, was kind of flying back and forth, scouting locations, small garages, similar spaces to what we're in now here in Boulder. But, and my wife got a, a nice promotion at work, which kept us here. So I said, you know, I think I can still make this concept work here. So I just, in my business plan, changed the name from Cellar North to Cellar West and sort of thought that maybe one day I would reevaluate that and find something different and just kept telling everyone if they asked what the project's name was and it kind of stuck and found no reason to change it. And the logo that I had designed, I do all of our graphic design and marketing as well. So I do all our label design, I design our logo. The logo that I had designed incorporates a loon, which is sort of interesting considering we're in Colorado and you very rarely see loons out here unless they're just passing through. But it's sort of an icon of the Northwoods and I have fond memories of sitting out on the the pier on the lake having a beer and listening to loons out on the lake. And again, didn't really feel a need to change it. It has a story to it now and I can kind of tie my Midwest roots with the logo. Yeah, so that's sort of the backstory on how we came to be and the name and the logo. So one of the fundamental questions, which is, I think, pretty obvious for you, is what would you say your brewery is known for? It seems like wild yeast fermentation, barrel fermentation. Can you maybe walk us through what your typical process is if there's something that's consistent with what you would hang your hat on? Sure. Yeah, I think predominantly what we specialize in is, I would say, farmhouse-inspired ales. We're not on a farm, so I I'm not going to call them true farmhouse ales, but you know, a lot of that sort of idea of these small family farms in Wallonia is what we've embraced and and sort of run with. So the driving force behind our brewery is definitely wild yeast. Um, We have a house culture that is a mix of just some dregs that I raised up from some of my favorite Belgian and American farmhouse sales, as well as some wild strains, both Saccharomyces and Britannomyces, that we isolated out of the air um, here in Colorado by just doing some open ferments and you know, we did 10 or 15 of them and most of them either turned to vinegar or just didn't attenuate down or were right. just gross. So, um, but we did have a couple that fermented nicely, put off some really nice esters and phenols. And we essentially made this blend of all these yeasts and I sent it off to Brewing Science Institute in Denver and they bank it there for us. So anytime we need a fresh pitch, we have our own kind of proprietary house culture we use. So that's really the driving force behind what we do. The second thing would definitely be that oak factor. I would say up until now, 90 to 95% of our beer has been oak fermented and aged. And we do, when we're using an oak barrel, we do the fermentation in oak as well as an extended aging period. So we've had one or two barrels that we just played around with fermenting in our one steel tank that we usually use for blending. (laughs) So do you have a specific winery, distillery, cooperage you work with? Not necessarily. Almost all of our barrels have come through Rocky Mountain Barrel Company. They're a barrel broker in Denver. They have a giant warehouse and they get really high quality barrels. They're probably the largest barrel provider for the craft beer industry and they're located right in Denver, which makes it really convenient for us. So yeah, I I like to joke with people when they say you've got the best job in the world as a brewer. I say, no, I I know a guy who's got a better job. He flies around (laughs) the world getting barrels from Portugal and France. And yeah, but most of our barrels come through those guys. So where can customers find your beers? I mean, you produce primarily in bottles right now, right? Yep. In some draft. And is it in here? Is it in any local shops? Yeah. So 
I always say the safest bet is to come to our facility up in North Boulder. Currently, we're open Thursday, Friday from 4 to 8, and then Saturday, Sunday from 1 to 8. We've got a nice, cozy little tasting room, and anything that is going to be available on the market, we'll have here available, whether it's on draft and in bottles, or just in bottles, or just on draft. We do a little bit of kind of some sporadic uh, distribution along the front range, and we've got one or two places in Fort Collins that carry our beer five or 10 around Boulder and then another five or 10 in Denver that have our stuff. But usually it's kind of, it's hit or miss in terms of what beers they've got available. We're actually getting to the point now where we're, we're getting busier in our tasting room. So we're having to sort of hold back on, on some beer and doing less outside distribution these days. Well, and it's so difficult to paint the picture for people who go to the liquor store and see all the bottles that these are hand bottled and hand labeled and you only have yeah. so much capacity. It's a beautiful bottle. That's a 500 ml. Yep, exactly. And you've got this really cool kind of filler manifold. Did you build that? No, I didn't. That's a fairly common uh, bottle filler, gravity gravity filler right. um, in the craft beer industry. But yeah, we package everything still. We naturally condition all of our beer including our kegs, which is somewhat uncommon. It's not uh, not super uncommon to see naturally conditioned bottles, but yeah, we, we package all of our kegs and bottles still with fresh yeast and sugar in them, and then we tuck them away for a month or two and let them re-ferment in the package to create that natural CO2. And that's a fairly important factor in our beers, I would say. I think it lends a really nice carbonation and mouthfeel to the beer. Right. When you put so much work into harnessing the wild yeast characteristics yeah. that bottle conditioning can only enhance. Okay, so one thing I love to ask brewers, especially with your expertise, are what trends are you seeing this year, this month, either in Colorado or nationally? I mean, what you do is closer along the lines of a lot of the more artisanal producers that are harder to find. But is there anything that you're seeing coming along that may be future, maybe now? Yeah, there's always trends that are coming and going in our industry. And, you know, a handful right off the bat would be this hazy IPA trend. The like New England style. Some, thing. yeah. Um, some are New England-ish. Some are just hazy in my right. opinion. Yeah. So that whole factor, you know, this super unfiltered IPA type deal, which I'm not bashing because I, I love a lot of those. Big adjunct stouts I'm seeing a lot of these days. Bourbon barrel age, 13% stouts with coconut and chocolate and things like that. I think we're seeing a lot of super fruited sours right now. A lot of great examples too. Just beers that are fermented in oak and or not fermented in oak and just very acidic and use a lot of fruit in them. And I think another trend that I'm seeing a lot of is this sort of foraged ingredient trend where people are going out and handpicking dandelions and mushrooms and things like that and using it in their beer. Which the botanical stuff is cool. really interesting. Yeah, It's nice because it seems like for the last few years there was kind of the the hop overdrive where everyone had to have a double and triple IPA, mm-hmm. call it like 2013-14. And then you had the era of the Shandy and Rattler going national, and then it was fruit adjuncts. Mm-hmm. And now, you know, a lot of people, I've seen a lot of Mexican-style lagers. Yeah. Definitely some awesome sours. I like the adjunct stouts. Sure. There's a couple of, I'm from Seattle, there's a lot of coffee companies up there. Yeah. And there's several that have done coffee and chai. and But like you said, I'm, I'm huge into hibiscus and any kind of a juniper. There's a lot of cool things people are doing. But it seems like you have... So many different things. So why don't you maybe kind of walk us through the core lineup that you have and describe what they are and maybe, I mean, I'm not going to ask you what your favorites are, but <laughs> what people will most often ask for. Sure. Really a lot of the beers and sort of my philosophy and approach to brewing is I like to make beers that are 
expressive but not aggressive. So beers that are refreshing and enjoyable and you want to keep drinking, but they do have some layers of complexity and flavor and nuance to them. So we don't really do, I think the biggest beer we've released so far is 7.5%. We don't do giant beers. Really a lot of the character in our beers that we're looking for is going to be yeast driven from our house yeast culture as well as um, some of the oak character. But our lineup definitely leans fairly Saison-esque heavy, I would say. Right now, we've got a stronger Saison called Maykay, 7.4%. Nothing special in it, really. It's just Pilsner malt and oat sweet rye, so it's sort of this multi-grain Saison. Ferment in white wine barrels for four or five months, and then naturally condition. Just kind of our take on a stronger Saison style. Sapience is a fun beer for us. That one was actually just in Beer Advocate magazine. Got a nice score from those guys. Um, that's kind of our take on a beer to Mars. Uh, which is, if you think of farmhouse brewing and, you know, the French-Belgian area, Cezanne made up the bulk of the brewing in the winter. Beer de Garde was typically brewed earlier on in the fall, which is beer for keeping, so they would kind of age that the longest. And then Beer de Mars is Beer of March, and that was a sort of the beer that they would brew one or two batches of on the back end of the season. It was meant to, to be drank very fresh, typically a little more hop forward, lower in alcohol, but our version has a little bit of citra hops in it, some coriander and pink peppercorn to sort of drive up those floral spring-like aromas. Yeah, and I mean, we've got a dark saison with citrus. We hand-zested 50 pounds of grapefruit, lime, and orange in that beer. Really interesting take on saison. We do have sort of our approach to an IPA on right now. It's kind of a farmhouse-inspired IPA. It's more or less a Saison recipe fermented like a Saison with our wild yeast culture, but then we hopped it like an IPA. It's got Galaxy, Eldorado, and Azaka hops in it. And that's the green spur? Yep. Awesome. Yep, exactly. And then we do have a rye Saison that we fermented in white wine barrels on right now. That was a collaboration with our buddies at Call to Arms Brewing in Denver and Cannonball Creek Brewing in Golden. And we did two variants of that. We, we did one that we aged on cucumber and cardamom, which was super fun. Definitely gave it this kind of melon lime note. And then we uh, did a version that we dry hopped with Hallertau Blanc and Amarillo. Um, it has a nice sort of Sauvignon Blanc gooseberry type note to it. Interesting. So, yep. But we don't have many flagships as of today. We just, our process and sort of the way we're set up here doesn't necessarily allow for us to make one beer year round and just kind of crank it. Perhaps we can get a fooder or two in here someday and and make that a reality. But, you know, just with our approach as of today, it's tough for us to have one or two year round flagships. Do you do any seasonal releases? Are you doing a pumpkin or spice something or other, or we're not doing any pumpkin beers. Seems like um, everybody does that. So yeah, I, I enjoy a good pumpkin beer. We're not doing it uh, anytime soon. And there's a lot of them on the shelf and I haven't really been able to wrap my head around a way where I think we could apply pumpkin and spices well with our approach to beer making. It's not to say we won't do it someday. Today we're actually packaging a plum beer. Essentially, it's a Saison base that was fermented in white wine barrels for about six or seven months. And then we aged it on quite a bit of plum for probably two, two and a half months. So that one's getting packaged today. That should be a really nice one. It's going to be called Heavy Branch. And I guess the closest thing we've got to sort of your winter fall seasonal is in a few weeks we'll be packaging a beer probably our most ambitious beer we've made fermented in red wine barrels initially sort of a dark base stout type beer so spent three or four months in those red wine barrels primary fermentation and then we racked it over to barrels that originally held port and then a local distillery finished their bourbon in them gave it another six months in those barrels and then uh, i've got some family friends in Wisconsin who harvest maple syrup. They sent out some maple syrup and we added it, kicked off a secondary fermentation 
And that one is going to get a little bit of local cold brewed coffee with it at packaging. So sort of our take on kind of like a farmhouse breakfast stout, I guess. I mean, that one should be probably October, November release, I would guess. But yeah, you know, we're seven months old. We haven't, we don't really have, I've never brewed the same beer twice. We have a beer called Westfield, which is sort of our staple saison, I guess. And that will be, we'll brew that second batch of that one in a month here. And that'll be the first time we've brewed the same beer twice. So, huh. so like you said, you've been in here for a year. You've been commercially producing for seven months. What are the future goals for the business? Great question. Something I'm thinking about a lot right now. We're quickly running out of space in this unit, and we really need to think about how we grow. You know, I'm a big fan of slow and organic growth, so it's not going to be the type of thing where we go to the bank overnight and get a half a million dollar loan and all of a sudden blow up and create a big brewery. But we do need some space to spread our wings a little bit here. And currently I'm renting time at a local brewery to use their brew house because we don't have room in here for a brew house. So I'd like to buy my own brew house. It's kind of an upcoming step that's on the horizon. I think probably moving to a bigger space. We've explored maybe adding another unit in this little industrial stretch we're in, but the logistics of that are pretty tough. So I think on the horizon, we're looking at, like I said, slightly bigger space, our own brew house, maybe a couple fooders. So if somebody just wrote you a check, no strings attached for 500 grand, what would you do with it? You'd build out a brew house, get a bigger space. I'd probably write them a check for 400 grand and take a hundred and grow a little bit. And so. keep it bolder, keep it the same character, just make yeah, it a Yeah, I mean, bit we, you know, we want to stay in this general area. I'm not going to commit to saying we're going to stay within half a mile of here because real estate's tough right now. And especially with the marijuana industry out here, it's driving all the warehouse prices up. So it's really right. challenging to find space that's affordable for someone like us. But yeah, you know, I'd like to bring more people on. I'd like to put more food on the table for some people and... We have small goals here. Like when I opened this, I didn't have any bank loans, any investors, none of that. And sort of had the expectation that we were going to be closing up in six months. And here we are seven months later and we're running out of space. So kind of crossing that bridge as we speak. So is your draft stuff all in nitro? Nope, it's not nitro, but those are uh, special faucets. They have a valve at the end of them that controls the flow of the Mm. beer. Um, And we more or less have to do that. Like I said, we naturally condition all of our kegs, which... When we first opened, we were only doing bottles because it's a lot easier for me to wrap my head around bottle conditioning than keg conditioning. And then we bought a couple kegs, played around with some keg conditioning. They poured great. People were way into the draft stuff, obviously. So we brought in a back bar draft system here. And uh, we have to use those faucets because, you know, sometimes our beers will be a little higher in carbonation than most beers, which is usually the case, or slightly lower. And that allows us at the point of pouring to sort of control the flow of the beer. Pressure regulation? Yep, exactly. So if it's a really carbonated beer, we'll turn the flow down a little bit and it'll pour really slowly into the glass, but it gives it this big, nice kind of marshmallowy head on the beer. Fortunately, we have to use those. They are about $175 a faucet, where a standard beer faucet's like 20 or 30 bucks. But that's part of the game and we're committed to making those types of beers and Fancy looking. Yeah. So, Zach, I'll let you get back to brewing. Are there any final thoughts you want to leave the listeners of Colorado with regarding Cellar West? Are you going to any shows soon? Is there somewhere they can come here and see you on Thursdays, Fridays, Thursday, Saturday, Sunday, right? Uh, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. Yeah. So Thursday, Friday, we do four to eight in our tasting room. And then Saturday, Sunday, we do one to eight. We're looking at adding Wednesday evening too, but when we opened, it was just Saturday. So we're kind of like looking at how much beer we're selling each month, forecasting if we can add another day and still have enough beer in stock and everything. So we're looking at adding Wednesdays too. But yeah, I would say come up, check us out. I'm behind the bar most of the time. So you can pick my brain and we kind of are fairly careful about 
what events we attend. There's just so many. We don't have the manpower or the beer for it. So I can't really say today what events we'll be pouring at upcoming. I would say that the best way to, to kind of introduce yourself to our beer is just to make a visit up to North Boulder and come by and say, hey. And well, and it's so easy to stuff. get here. You're just a little ways off the core downtown. Yep. So next time you guys are in Boulder, definitely make it up to Cellar West. Come on in, try some beers, take some bottles home. They're beautiful. And ask Zach all kinds of questions. I'm going to have pictures and some descriptions of the beers in the show notes of this episode. So go to the website and check it out. You can see what he's doing and have a look at this cellar that he's built. Thanks so much for your time, Zach. We'll look forward to talking to you soon. Thank you. Cheers. Thanks for listening to the Big Brew Theory Podcast. We'll see you next week with more of the best local brews and news. Cheers.